Hello, and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter or Instagram, and don't remember to send in any listener questions. So this week, uh, it is Monday, September 21st. We have Dan and Nick. Hello. Hello. So the large story this week is the cataclysmic passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was an icon, even though that is an overused word. She was an icon and sort of, um, you know, um, standard bearer for her field. Without some of the things she did, it seems like we would live in a very different world today. So, Dan, as the recently graduated legal scholar, what can you tell us about the impact of her life on the on the legal field? And then also dovetail that into sort of the the political fight that is now ensuing. Sure. So, I think the biggest thing that maybe people don't realize because it's been so long is that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was probably the, the most prominent legal advocate for gender rights in American history. In the 70s, she got her career started, or late 60s, early 70s, uh, and there are some simple things that we were talking about that if you were a woman, you couldn't sign for mortgage without your husband. You couldn't open a bank account. Um, if you were, let's say you and your wife were married and she died, that a male widow couldn't get survivor benefits under Social Security. It was only set up for widows, not widowers. And so what she went through kind of the legal code and said, where does our law discriminate based on, you know, certain kind of like class or societal views of what a man should do or a woman should do and sued to end a lot of them. And then was became so prominent that she became a judge on the D.C. circuit uh, and then, you know, famously a Supreme Court justice for the last I guess it's some 35 years. She was 1993 or so. And I think the thing that made her so powerful on the Supreme Court or so iconic is her compassion. I think a lot of her opinions had a real human touch to them. Sonia Sotomayor, um, one of the other current Supreme Court justices, has a current feel too, where they focus on how you know not these like theoretical debates are always prevalent in Supreme Court decisions, but how does that impact people's lives? And so something as simple as you know, as I talk about the Social Security survivor benefits, if your wife dies, do you get Social Security? And that makes a huge difference in people's lives or being able to open a bank account, right? And not being unbanked, that makes a huge difference in people's lives. And that was kind of the focus of a lot of her legal career and her opinions. So she is someone that I think I had many professors who had her as a mentor and worked for her in the Supreme Court. And, you know, they said she was an amazing person and was very thoughtful and would always check in. I was lucky enough to be her guest at the Supreme Court for oral arguments a year, year and a half ago. Um, and oh, wow. it was an amazing experience. Her? Yeah, they, uh, one of the cool things is that, you know, in the legal world, you can get, I don't know, get tickets, but basically get a reserved place to see oral arguments. And um, it's one of a very cool, uh, like legal nerd thing to do. And uh, so all the justices have a certain number of seats for every argument. And so one of the arguments last spring, I was able to go as a, as a guest of uh, Justice Ginsburg. So that was a cool, cool thing to she, see. It. Awesome. She seemed like she was a beast in the weight room. Was she as ripped in the person as she is on <laughs> <Yeah>. video? <laughs> well, okay. I don't think, you know, I, I'm not really sure in a robe. You know, the, the baggy black <laughs> robes are not exactly meant to show 
So anyway, you shouldn't yeah. sexualize a recently deceased Supreme Court I justice. No, I was I was impressed by her athleticism. Uh, there's nothing. I, there's no, I, I joke that her you know her workout regime is better than mine for sure, and uh, she could be. You know, Seth and I were on the track team at U Chicago, and I think she could have competed in any of the like you know plank competitions that we had there. Maybe our friend and sometimes guest John Eric Humphries, who hasn't come on, he might take offense and think that he would win all playing contests, but, but she did pretty good. But I think, you know, it was a, she was a huge, you know, liberal figure, but a huge figure for, you know, what was possible for being a woman in the law. I think what's crazy is that when she was applying to law school, no women went to law school. I think that's what's crazy for, you know, for Sandra Day O'Connor as well, that just around the time she's, she went to law school was when maybe there would be two to five women per class at Harvard or Stanford or Yale or Columbia out of a class of a couple hundred. And it was often impossible for them to get a job, even if you were the top student and the smartest person in your class and you know, clerked for the Supreme Court. It was impossible to get a job at a Manhattan law firm as a woman fresh out of law school. So obviously that's very different today and in large part thanks to her legal career, which I think is why everyone was so sad at, at her loss. And you know, you know, everyone's very sad. I think the other interesting thing, which is something I, I didn't realize, is that she is the first woman that will ever lie in state at the U.S. Capitol. So America has been around for over 250 years, and we have a tradition where if a prominent figure dies, they lie in state uh, in honor of them at the U.S. Capitol. And there has what about never Rosa been, Parks? She lied in honor, so slightly different, uh-huh. but no woman has ever lied in state at the Capitol. Uh-huh. But yes, Rosa Parks being the only other woman to be honored at all is truly insane when you think about that, that, you know, in the last... I don't know, year. There have been probably 10 men that have lied in state, right? John McCain, John Lewis, um, President Bush. So it's kind of crazy that it took 270 years for a woman to lie in state. Mm. Billy Graham, yeah. That last one, right? That like no woman is like the thing. Yeah, yeah, no. I'm going through my my repertoire in my head. That is remarkable. That's insane. Uh, I'm trying to think of like recently deceased notable individuals. And yeah, that's that's kind of crazy. Obviously, a lot of women lying alive right now in politics, you know, Speaker Pelosi, chief among them. But that will, I'm sure, be given that honor. But it's kind of crazy that it's uh, it's been this long for that to happen. But as a general note. As a general note, we should refrain from using words like crazy and insane, as these are now deemed ableist toward the mentally unwell. Just as a... Thank you, Seth. That is a great... A great editor's note. It is remarkable that that, that this is the first time that that has happened. Wait, you can't use the word crazy or insane? No, Nick. It's not. It's it's ableist. So how does one indicate something that is uh, shocking? But shocking? You could say shocking. shocking. That works. Or sort of ludicrous or sort of bananas. Bananas is a good one to go to. Ludicrous is a is a music artist. He is he's really good, isn't he? Do you like him? <laughs> I do. I do. <laughs> um okay, so question though. This is what it seems like her passing has thrown a wrench in uh, the election buildup because I think Trump now sees an opening where he can court the side of the party that is very anti-abortion and he also can sort of potentially dangle it over people's heads as a as you, you know you have to we have to come out and win this election or else there will be a liberal court your life will change in all these terrible ways so it seems that's a dangerous 
card to play, though, because I think that could motivate the left just as much. Um, I don't know. What do y'all think? What do you think, Nick? Yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty. I mean, I'm not. I'm going to give you a non-answer. First of all, it is remarkable that, and you could say ludicrous, that, you know, she just passed away and people are kind of, it's the one profession where I think this, this just completely galvanizes this discussion about who's going to replace you immediately after you, you drop dead. And uh, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's unfortunate and cynical, but um, I mean, she obviously was a remarkable justice. Uh, Sorry, Ellie, my, Ellie just stopped in and said, hi. Um, She was a remarkable woman and and, uh, a trailblazer and and definitely contributed greatly to our country in, in a lot of ways in equal justice. But yeah, going to the, the succession debate, I, I, I uh, it's going to be rough. It's going to be hyper political. Uh, and I know the only information we have is that the president has indicated that he's going to nominate a woman. And there's two, I think, two possible candidates that have arisen. So but, do you think they'll try to force through a nominee, the Senate will? Uh, I'm a, I think it's going to be very tricky to do it before the election. I think lame duck would be a period to, to, to pay attention to. And I think it, it can play out in different ways. Obviously, if Trump is reelected, this won't be as as toxic or as spicy. If the Senate flips and he's reelected, I see that going down. If the Senate flips and he loses the election, I think it will be very hyper, hyperly partisan and toxic if the GOP does proceed with a with a, a nomination. But that being said, you know, they're, they, they can. They have that ability to do so. And and the speaker, uh, pardon me, the majority leader has, has indicated that that sort of that's his game plan for now. It seems so obviously hypocritical that uh, it shouldn't surprise anyone they're going to do it. But it does. It, it, I feel like it's a sign of the political times we are in where people are just lobbying toward their base. There's sort of nobody in the middle. And that's what polls show. It shows that sort of 90% of people are made up on have made up their mind on either side. Yeah. I would I would look there's a great frontline documentary about the Supreme Court that that aired right before she passed away a couple of weeks ago that ties sort of this hyperpartisan environment to kind of the 80s when Robert Bork was nominated to the Supreme Court. I mean obviously people know that outcome where it did not his nomination was not uh, was rejected by the by the Senate. And I think a lot of the senators who are kind of in leadership positions now, especially among the Republicans, remember that time. Um, so there was one listener comment or question this week, and it was basically, why didn't the Democrats or someone try to hide Justice Ginsburg's death? Like sort of fake it for as long as possible. Jeez. If you need, like put a body double out. Is that not a possibility? And also... And a minimum to that um, has what is the longest that that has that that has succeeded for? Like, has there ever been a foreign leader that has died and no one's known about it for weeks or months? I would say probably, you know, the 12, 13, 1500s, it probably lasted for months. Right. If you're mm-hmm. worried. But, you know, I'm not exactly sure. But uh, well, I don't. I think that that's a little conspiracy theorist for the United States. I think in North Korea, Kim Kim Il Sung, Kim Jong Il, I think had some. Not sure when exactly they they passed away, but I think the state did take its time to announce their death. It just seems like in the COVID era, there was there was a possible there was an opening for hiding her death. I think it's a missed opportunity. 
kind of delayed this until the election a little bit. Mm. Like a weekend at Bernie? Exactly. If it needed to come to that, I mean, I guess you would have to get like a child to uh, to puppeteer her. But um, is it, was that a was that a serious question from a, who? And do we who who are our listeners by the way? There's an on, there's an anonymity um, agreement to our listener questions. Mm, so yeah. I'm gonna I'm just gonna leave it at that. So I think our, the uh, screen name for the person that sent that one in was trying to bait Nick at AOL.com, but. Um, I don't think it was successful. It's Russian, Russian troll. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't think that's. Nick, that can was, I, uh, can I ask yeah. a question of you? Just to, in Russia, topic just popped in my mind. Mm-hmm. Did you, what did you think of President Trump today when asked who um, poisoned um, Navalny? Navalny, and his response was, "Well, I'll get back to you on that when it's pretty clear." Uh, I mean, I think that just might be based on the fact that he might not know who Alexei Navalny is. But Novichok is only available. I mean, the, the the only entity that exists on the planet that has access to Novichok is the Russian government. Um, when Sergei Skripal was poisoned in London by Novichok, it was by two GRU agents, which is the Russian military intelligence service that were happened to be in in. Um, uh, I have a forgot the the neighborhood of of a. Uh, London, where he was right. Salisbury, Salisbury, where he was poisoned, happened there to be was like, vacationing there. And there was like poison all over the street. People were getting poisoned from picking up water bottles. Yeah. That's wild. I think a woman passed, like a uh, a woman just died because of it. I mean, not not a target of the Russian government. But yeah, I think it's quite clear who poisoned him. I think it, it, the Russian government does that as a way of, in some ways, they don't necessarily mean to kill him i think it was more of a messaging and certainly i think they weaken him if he's out of the country uh, i worked with a russian dissident named vladimir karamorza when i was on the hill who was poisoned twice by the russian government and he it's a way of delegitimizing he recovered not and he was not poisoned by Novichok, but they it's a way of sending a message of intimidation and it's not necessarily they don't necessarily intend to kill you with uh litvininko when he was poisoned by polonium i do think that intent was to kill I mean, that's like a radioactive material. But yeah, I think there's the once the German German medical professionals released the data that it was Novichok, I think it was quite clear that that it was the Russian government. I think that's there's no not much discussion on that. Have you been following? Is that is that related to Belarus? Um, the uh, no. Navalny or no? Who was the woman in Belarus who was? I guess um, she wasn't poisoned, but she was threatened. Her life was threatened. She might have been arrested. The he, the uh, forgive I think my ignorance she was of her name. Right? But... Yeah, just pulled off the street. Uh, yeah, Belarus is a complicated place. I think that uh, that's probably the next Ukraine type scenario that we'll see. I think there's some discussion of the the Russian military is moving equipment near their border, which is not a good sign. But yeah, no, it, I mean, I, this is, is a Belarus tangent. part of NATO. No, uh, no, they've always kind of been in uh, the CIS, the Russian kind of camp uh, since the breakup of the Soviet Union. They've kind of been a, an economic partner of Russia's. They were sort of economically dependent on Russia. There was some deal that they worked out called like oil for kisses, I think, in the 90s, where Russia would supply them with essentially free oil um, and the, and the Belarusia Bielor- would be kind of kept in their sphere of influence. So they would kiss them? They could no, free it, it, kisses? Sort of, it was a it was a deal orchestrated by the head of Belarus. Named Alex, his name is Alexander Lukashenko, and he kind of worked this deal out with 
I guess, Yeltsin at the time. So do you have, like, a favorite Russian-engineered poison? Um, I would say polonium, which is radioactive, because the, the poisoner gets exposed to it. So you really have to, like, hate someone or not care about your own well-being, which the, the guy who poisoned Litvinenko in 06 was a guy named Andrei Lugovoy, who was an agent, I think a GRU agent. I don't know. I, I could be wrong. But he ended up getting rewarded for that. He was given a seat in the Duma, in the parliament. And I think, like, a couple of years ago, I read in the Daily Mail that he got married to, like, a 26-year-old. Um, so, he, I mean, despite being exposed to polonium, he, he's been rewarded sweetly with a, essentially a member member of their Congress, which is kind of absurd to begin with. Um, so uh, do you believe that Trump is an asset or how deep does Trump go? No, I, I don't think he's an asset of the Russian government. I think that he's said some things that are sympathetic to Russia, which I think is he's misinformed in that sense or has, uh, I, I think, poor judgment if, if he truly believes those comments that the, the Russians you know, are, are uh, I think he said, like, why can't we be nice with Russia or something like that? And that's, those decisions aren't going to be made in Washington. Those decisions are going to be made in Moscow. I mean, but I you think don't think there's like compromise on Trump? It seems like his policy is very geared toward uh, playing nice with Russia. I think his rhetoric and I think his policy, there's mixed, it's a mixed bag. I think he's done things to, he signed CATSA, which was a big sanctions package in 2017. He's, instructed the u.s military to attack russian mercenaries in syria he has Dan, what do you think do you think that the russians have um compromise on donald trump i think maybe he's just jealous of putin right he's just kind of like putin gets to rule forever and have a hundred billion dollars i would like that too well what here's here's my my question to dan is why didn't the why didn't the Obama administration okay the sale of lethal javelin anti-tank missiles to the Ukrainian military? You know, Nick, I'm not going to lie. Uh, I'm not as intensely up on every foreign policy javelin missile transaction, but um, I would say they're trying to have less weapons in the world would be probably one. So you're asking concern. why the Obamas did not allow the sale of missiles to the Ukraine? Anti-tank, portable anti-tank missiles called okay. javelins they're made by raytheon okay and and that is what that's supposed to show that both administrations have sort of been cozy to russia no the the it was a it's a strategic or a tactical weapon that changes the dynamic on the battlefield so if you supply it to the ukrainian military it allows them to destroy russian tanks in eastern ukraine it's also an escalation, though. Obama seemed on all borders to try to de-escalate. Try to de exactly. Yeah, in but, all realms. But not in just foreign in policy, I mean, there's this adage that says to sometimes to de-escalate, you need to escalate. And if the Russians think that you're not acting in a in a way of in a, in a response, they're just going to keep biting off pieces no, of the apple. But that's that's only because you don't know all the unknowns. And we know the unknowns, all these known unknowns that you don't know. All right. Thank you, Rumsfeld. What? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't mean to. We're gone Wait, on a tangent. Tell us, tell us some more adages. I want some more foreign policy adages, Nick. If you want something, take it. I think that's from The Departed. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Departed or Hitler? Kind of both similar mantras, right? 
I think I remember hearing that from Jack Nicholson's character in The Departed. Are there any, like, adages you live by? Do you sort of repeat in the mirror or anything like that? Um, uh, history. What is it? History provides context, not lessons. I think that's Elliot Abrams said that. I'm trying to think what else. Don't invade Russia in the winter. I think, what, Napoleon said that? Probably. No land wars in Asia. No land wars in Asia. That's another one. That's a good one. All right. So wait, Dan, do you want to talk about basketball in the waning minutes of the podcast? Yeah, I think uh, we had a huge moment in the basketball playoffs when uh, Gordon Hayward came back a little earlier than expected from his sprained ankle and was the key or the fulcrum for the Celtics turnaround. To win one game. To win one game. The Celtics had a problem of they couldn't survive some of the minutes that were being played by like Semi Ojale or a lot of minutes by Grant Williams or um, Cantor in the game. And so Gordon Hayward allows like the whole offense to be different. I mean, the two things, one, they can go small, but they still have a big lineup Two, he can shoot and three, he can pass. I think that's the biggest one. And so they were getting just like bogged down by the zone, especially at the end of games. And he just allowed a whole other level of uh, fluidity to the game. So it was huge. And I think, it was also interesting they had after game two when they lost another double-digit lead and lost the game. Marcus Smart and Jalen Brown got into it a bit. And I think they resolved their differences that Marcus should shoot a fewer threes and that Jalen Brown should go to the basket more. And that is like the perfect recipe for success for the Boston Celtics. So I'd say cautiously optimistic. I think that they have – the fact they have off until Wednesday is huge. So I – and predicting, soft predicting another win in game two. And then it's a game, then the series is really on. I, I have a question about the Celtics. Do you think that they should pack the garden or they should pack the court? As in, do you think that they should add more players? I'm, I'm no. making a metaphor to the Supreme Court. Do you think that, do you, do you think Do that I they, think that if we have a situation where presidents that lost the popular vote appoint six of the nine people on the Supreme Court and the Republicans have said they will never confirm another Democratic nominee if they have a majority in the Senate, then yes, we should change the number of justices in the Supreme Court like we have changed four or five times in history. Yeah. Do I also think more people should be states? There should be more states? Yes. Do I think that more people should be allowed to vote? Yes. Do I think that, I mean, I'm kind of pro the will of the democracy, not being ruled by a white minority party. Ooh. Um, I mean, I think, I think there's a consensus that, how do I put it? You don't think that, I mean, it, it, I hear, what about, what about the electoral college? I mean, I hear this, this talk about how if you pack the court, if you do certain things, you benefit your own party in that particular term, but it, you essentially just erode away at the the independence of that of the judiciary branch like don't you think that if you were to I'm, I'm going off on a tangent back to packing the court and i'll talk about the electoral college later but don't you think that that, that kind of is a very dangerous pact to take so, i mean certainly if the republicans were to regain control of the senate they would do that they can do that as well i mean it would not backfire well i would say two things one there's been a couple of moments in time where the Supreme Court got out of step with the American people. One time we had a civil war, and the next time FDR threatened to add seats to the court because the conservative court was striking down legislation that was needed to bring us back from the Great Depression. 
we're now in a public health pandemic and at least four of the members of the court right now and probably whoever Donald Trump would appoint would strike down health care for 25 million Americans. And so if as a people we thought, well, maybe Americans should have health care and the Democrats realized the only way to do that is to adjust the ideological mentality of an activist court, then they should add seats to the court. Right. The justice, the Republicans on the Supreme Court have become exceptionally activist in striking down yeah. legislation. And so and they are not the average American disagrees with them. Yeah. And so I mean, this is what I'd say. If there was supposed to be the certain number of people on the Supreme Court and it was not really supposed to change, the founders would have put it in the Constitution and it would have needed a constitutional amendment. That didn't happen. The Supreme Court was a barely thought of construct in 1787. It had to have limited jurisdiction and very few members. And it was through judicial activism that they took such a prominent role in society. And now they're taking activism to both protect presidents and government officials from uh, damages and from having any consequences of their action and trying to overthrow the will of the people. And mm. so shouldn't let that happen. It is interesting, yeah. in my opinion, how um, it feels like the paradigm that's set up in our country is that the conservatives or traditionalists, ever everyone in that bent, and that and that then sort of balloons out towards libertarians and people that believe that sort of uh, you should have the the most simple, least intrusive interpretation of laws and and the mandate of government. That that side of things is always at battle with the other side of things, which is that times change, interpretations need to change. And then when the people on the more nuanced progressive side then try to counter that with a, an argument like Dan is trying to make based in the, in the foundations of, of the documents, sort of, we're allowed, there's nothing in the documents that say that we can't do this. Not only that, this has happened multiple times, then the other side tries to say, well, you, like, that isn't, really in tradition because look you're so you can't it, it feels like this constant bait and switch argument that's that's happening and i feel like the the key argument that dan makes is that one side of legend of the legend of uh the branches of government will then sort of balance naturally the other sides if one side becomes too activist and it really is determined by the will of the people what however vague that is but at some point People will get angry. There will be, you know, unrest or there will be deep state, you know, drama to try to. And that is what's happening. It seems like Trump has pushed things so far that people in the quote unquote deep state or these career bureaucrats, they they've been pushed too far. So there is sort of this mild reaction just to convention. So mm. I don't know. It seems like a really flimsy argument to say that. Um, we should just keep things the way they have been because that's the the traditionalists or conservative only use that argument when it fits their needs at that present moment. Right. And I think, you know, the same argument could be made. We should keep things as they are. Women shouldn't be allowed to vote. Or as we were talking no. about and oh, as we were talking about earlier in yeah. our segment, as Justice Ginsburg fought for when she was a lawyer, well, we should just keep things as the way they are. Women shouldn't be allowed to have bank accounts or a mortgage or get a driver's license without their husband's permission. Right? I think that's a cheap argument to say that comparing, keeping the nine on the street, keeping the number, the numerical number of justices is the same as 
allowing for the disenfranchisement disenfranchisement of a, of a essentially 50% or more of the population. That's But that's I guess not that, a, but the I think is if we keep only nine, if Trump pushes through a nominee mm-hmm. and we keep only 9 in the Supreme Court, then the 6 Republican justices on the Supreme Court will disenfranchise a majority of the American population for the mm-hmm. next 25 years. Well, there's also so no guarantee that late. Yeah. I mean, wasn't Souter appointed by Republican president. I mean, you, you have you've had a long history of justices being nominated. Uh, Brennan by Eisenhower. I mean, that that lean as soon as they get to the court, they lean to the left on the judiciary matters. So there's no guarantee that just because a, a Supreme Court justice is nominated by a particular president, there's no guarantee that their ideological slant will remain the same once they're on the court. And I, I mean, I look I, at John. Well, I would say it. It does take a certain amount of heartlessness to remain a legal conservative for your entire life. And so I do think when people get to the Supreme Court, they're like, God, I can't be this awful every day. And so they lean left. But I think what Mm -hmm. the counter aspect to the uh, Justice Souter, who's one of my favorite justices, in the wake of him becoming too liberal, the far right legal conservative movement embraced the Federalist Society and deferred all judicial picks to them. And so if you don't have a 25-year record of being indoctrinated by the Federalist Society, you can't become a federal judge. So I don't think we're going to have Justice Souter moments mm. in the future. Mm. I, I think that if you pack the court, uh, I mean, first of all, I mean, there's- If there's you expand the seats on the court, I mean, the court had 10 members for a while in yeah. the 1800s. That was a good number. It, it just- it's, Found. A, it's better than nine. Nine is kind of the opposite of the devil's number. It's, it's kind of scary. God. I think that it, it's it's a it's kind of an uh, hmm. Here, the way I'll put it is it, this might not necessarily pan out, but I think it is a it is not a healthy sign of democracy when you um, erode the independence of the branch. Um, and I see other countries have done it, especially like Bolivia in Latin America. They've had a trend where they've. Venezuela, where you pack the court, the, it's, you erode the its independence. So I guess what I say would, would what they end up like getting rid of term limits. They end up getting rid of all sorts of things that in, that you know keep the system of checks and balances in place. It's just it's just bad. There's no concrete evidence to say that if you do that in America, this will this will be the outcome. However, it it is a it is a sort of ominous practice that could lead to essentially the fundamental undermining of our democracy, even yeah, though it had good intent if it originally had good intentions. But I think that it's a uh, I don't know if it's a chicken and the egg or what the right analogy would be. But I think the point basically is if the premise of the argument is 45 percent or 40 percent of Americans should rule the other 60 percent and they have no chance at having their majority will in America forever, mm-hmm. then yes, something has to change. And so I would say the actual problem is if you want to have a structural rule by minority rule, that is not a steady state. And so what our point, change. What our point. So wait, can I just make one point? And I think it's 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 kind of salient when you think about it at large. Nick, when you say a justice is appointed and they commonly then become more liberal. Doesn't that isn't that all you need to hear? Doesn't that show you that the structures of our country are set up in a way that favor people that are more conservative? And then the actual will of the people, they almost naturally 
like algae in the water end up waving where the waves are going, where where people, where the pulse of the nation is going. So that's like, I think gay marriage is a great example of that. So the, it was like the states started changing and then all of a sudden the Supreme Court was like, all right, we get it. Let's do this. We're cool kids. And, and then everything was changed all of a sudden. Yeah. I mean, I look, there's things that, that require change. I mean, there is progress that is required in this country to make it a much more, more to really like strengthen the, the concept of equal justice under the law. There are things that, that need to be done to, to, to constantly evolve our democracy and make it, you know, more fair and equitable to, to, for all of its citizens. It's just, it's not necessarily like political slant. It's just sometimes good intentions lead to bad outcomes. And, and I, I, I believe, you know, Dan brought up a valid point. Seth, you probably brought it up too about judicial activism. Uh, prior to recent times, that was a charge lobbied, lobbed, pardon me, lobbed against the left, against progressives, against democratically appointed justices in federal courts, um, making the law and interpreting the law as they saw fit. And like that, that has been a charge on the most part that's been lobbed at democratically appointed justices and now sure there's some truth to say that republicans are kind of playing that game but it's certainly i think it's a reaction to years of that game also being played on the opposite side so i'm not saying it's good i'm just saying this is a trend that's a long time coming and i i think also the hyper politicization of the nomination process is also something that's I think, you know, started in the 80s, you know, I'm not, I don't really, I think the, the sort of the Kavanaugh hearing stuff is, I would say a little different than the Bork, Bork hearing. But to, to increase the hyper politicization, I would like to say that almost like a, a, a sports game, like talking shit on a basketball court, I think it is really lame if they try to ram the, the judiciary pick through because it's almost admitting that you don't think you can win. Like, just put up or shut up. Let's have the election. Let's right. play the game Trump's out. Trump's so confident he's going to win. Right. Say, I'll do it the day after the election when I win. I'd like to have the vote that day as my celebration present. Yeah, for winning and there, there's, valid, there's valid points to that. And there's also, like, if, I mean, I don't think, let's say that if the, the Senate were to pick someone in lame duck, I just think from a scheduling perspective, from a whip perspective, whipping votes, it's going to be tough to get it done before the election. Um, Even even if McConnell, he might have 50 votes plus Pence, you might jeopardize the chances of of keeping the Senate next next cycle with, you know, Susan Collins being vulnerable. um, Even even folks that have agreed to vote. I don't know how Corey. Gardner has decided, but, you know, Trump also has Mitt Romney to deal with. And, and there's there are folk, there are senators that just don't want to take a vote before the election. And McConnell might also weigh the whole, you know, the fact that they're up in tight elections as, as another reason to postpone it until lame duck. Lame duck is more complicated because the incentives aren't there. There's certain incentives are taken away. But it's going to be interesting to see what, you know, if, if, if Trump wins the election, I don't think there's going to be much much debate um, about when to have this vote. 
and went to have the hearings. But if he loses and the Senate flips, it's going to be very complicated. And I think that, that's the scenario that everyone's thinking about as I well. I mean, everyone knows that November and December are going to be chaos anyway. This is just going to be total chaos. Yeah. Yeah. Which Can't is what, wait. what our country does not need. It's your chaos. fault, Nick. It's not your fault, but it's mainly your fault. Okay. I'll take it. It's my fault. Okay. What, what, yeah. Do, do Democrats feel guilt about how they treated Mitt Romney in the 2012 foreign policy debate about how he brought up the fact that Russia was their number one foe and President Obama famously said, well, the 80s call and they want their foreign policy back. Yes. <laughs> is there any guilt, you know, any guilt about that? I, I think there like is. Everyone, I think there's a lot of people who say, wow, remember the days when Mitt Romney was the worst thing that the GOP could put forward and uh, binder full through the day. He was an interesting guy. I really enjoyed the documentary about him. He's just such a genuine awkward guy. Yeah, right. Him sitting around with his sons talking about their goals and ambitions and the ethics of running. He just is he's a very endearing guy, even though he's a you know, a weirdo. He did invent the uh, dog on the top of the car um, carriage seat, which I... That was the only dirt... I I worked on the McCain campaign in 07 in the primary, and that was the only dirt we could find on him. (laughs) Weird animals, yeah. Yeah. That's not even really dirt. That's just like a Mormon dad type thing to do. You could just... Dan, what's on your radar in the world? Um, I'm kind of all election all the time right now. That and the Celtics winning the title. How are we going to win Florida? Or how are the Democrats going to win Florida, Dan? That's what everyone wants to know. I don't know. One vote at a time. Who, and do we, who, who are our listeners, by the way? Thank you for listening to this week's episode. Tune in next week when we'll talk about currencies, financial exchange, and emerging markets. Please send in any questions to our Instagram at whatarepoint.